You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast, signing day edition. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show as always. Welcome to uh, the almost end of the first day of the early signing period. And guys, it was a little different. It was a little weird. Um, we'll, we'll get into all the news and notes. We'll get into everything that's happened um, across college football that relates to Oregon. Um First and foremost, to get everyone caught up to speed, four people have signed now with, with the Ducks um, as of 12.36 p.m. Pacific time. That's four-star linebacker Devin Jackson, four-star linebacker Harrison Taggart, three-star D-tackle Sir Mills, and three-star three tackle Michael Wooten. Um, ben Roberts, uh, another defensive tackle, he could be signing with Oregon. He's expected to announce his decision 5 p.m., on Wednesday, so that will come out after this. Uh, it's kind of down between Oregon and Nebraska. Look, was looking like Nebraska was trending, but Oregon's here. Uh, Oregon has kind of surged back ahead. We'll see if they can hold that. Um, we'll talk about that his decision later on. But guys, just overall, Eric, I think you put it out perfectly on the site on DuckTerritory.com. Just an unusual, uncommon, unprecedented signing day for Oregon football. Well, the point I was making was the first 15 days have been so hectic and so busy. And it, today is the quietest signing day I can ever remember seeing for a school of Oregon's magnitude. It makes sense, right? Like we're going to get into why it makes sense. Yeah. And if you're listening, understand like Oregon didn't have a head coach for until like two days ago. And now they do. And it's a lot of time to make things up. And the fact, honestly, that they have four guys that coach Dan Lanning, who, by the way, none of the, we'll get to assistant coaching hires in a bit here. I don't even think any of those guys can make contact unless they've, signed a contract with Oregon unbeknownst to us. So it's like, he's kind of a one man show while also doing Georgia stuff. And so like the fact that he's got four players that Matt ran through, who've already signed on the dotted line, that's like impressive in its own right. I mean, this is, he's had very little time to do this. It's a kind of a dead, I think it's a dead period as well. Like, I mean, there's a lot of things working against Oregon and trying to, you know, finish his class up, but it's been a really quiet day. You know, we got up at six and there's been, there was almost more coaching news than there was recruiting news. And by about 9.30, we were kind of like, I think I think Oregon might be done for the day. So should we start doing a recruiting podcast? And we were like, well, let's just go ahead and, and get one going. So here we are. But, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a quiet day. It, it's unusual. Signing day is usually a day where it is, a, you know, one of the more hectic days of the year. And it hasn't been for Oregon. There have been four players to sign. And that makes sense. Um, but it's also just very unusual. And I think what it's setting up for is a very, very busy February signing period when Oregon is going to do a lot more heavy lifting than normal. Um, I will say we probably would be surprised if four is the total number that Oregon signs this week. They can sign all the way through Friday. I, I just got off the phone with Sir Mel's, one of the players that did sign. And Mel said, definitely put it in all caps, put that in capital letters. We're signing more guys. Um, so await that. He didn't want to share names, but there's something else to be aware of is, is that there could be more additions made to this class over the next um, 
over the next week or so here, the next couple of days. And, and, and we were concerned that might happen. I don't know what's going on. There's a glitch in the matrix. We talked about this right before we started. That's the third time Bill has popped Bill. in. Bill has shown up. And, uh, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, sorry. Yeah. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised that this is a, you know, it's a pretty quiet signing day. Um, there's a lot of coaching limbo going around in college football, and Oregon has been subjected to that as well. Like Eric was saying, the fact that there's four guys who still want to keep on and sign on with Oregon speaks a lot. Um, we know that Coach Lanning is already, you know, chatting up the phones. He talked about it in his press conference. Um, he was able to keep Seven McGee from transferring. We saw that on Twitter the other night. Um, Jason Jones actually entered the transfer portal today, so maybe he can work his magic once again. Um, but yeah, this is this is how it's going to be. And there are a lot of players who are not signing until February because of all the coaching limbo. Um, I mean, you have major changes in our hey, Bill. <laughs> we have <laughs> I don't know what's going on, guys. I have no idea either. We have <laughs> we, we, oh my god. For the, by that, the way, dude. Just, just for the <laughs> listeners. Because they're, they're confused that we've had Bill Kierlich from the Bucknuts site for some reason pop into our stream now four <laughs> times, twice while we're recording. Um, so if we're last, laughing and mentioning Bill, that's who we're talking about. Just I guess it uh, kind of sums up the day. Like nothing is really kind of what we envisioned this <laughs> to be happening um, about a, two weeks ago. Um, I, I think any Duck fan that had any high expectations that there were going to be fireworks happening for Oregon today um, and that Oregon would all of a sudden secure three or four or five of those decommitments that have happened over the last two weeks or so. I think that's pretty naive um, to, to think it, it's pretty unrealistic because Dan Lanning hasn't even had the chance to really meet the entire team, go meet a lot of the staff that's currently here at Oregon. Um, and he's going to have time to go and make massive you know, when sweeping changes across the recruiting landscape, um, pretty, I think that's pretty naive to, to think. Um, maybe there is going to be one surprise, maybe there's two, um, but any kind of overarching theme of a big day today was, was not going to happen. And that's okay. The, the, what Oregon wants is literally nothing to happen. We, they, what they want is they, they want their commits that are choosing not to sign with Oregon today and went on Thursday and Friday, we should note that recruits can sign all the way up through Friday. Um, they, they, they don't do anything. They don't sign with another school in a surprise fashion. Right. Um, or Jalil Florence, a guy that decommitted from Oregon and went to USC this past weekend for an official visit. You know, they don't want him to do anything. They want him to just not sign with anybody so that by the time Lanning gets his staff in place. Lanning gets back to Eugene in January. He and his staff can then start building these relationships, got, try and see if they can convince some of these guys to take an unofficial visit to come up to Eugene to meet the staff. Lanning go down to their homes and meet, and meet the families and meet the parents and meet the, you know, meet, have more time one-on-one -on -one with each prospect and then get them to sign in February. February, the traditional signing day for Oregon, for for college football will be Oregon's big day. This is where they'll make a lot of their moves, I think. And so really today is all about just working the lines, working the contact with recruits, which they can have, and just ensuring that basically you're either signing with Oregon or nothing happens. 
Yeah, and and for Oregon, you hope that you like I said, Sir Mel's indicated there will be more additions. There was uh, I know Steve Wiltfong, um, one of the two four seven Sports national writers for recruiting, noted that there was the expectation a flip might happen from another school to Oregon. We are aware of a name there, but nothing has happened, and so we're not going to talk about things that haven't happened yet. Um, Tedaroa McMillan is a receiver. He'll make an announcement on Friday. It's down to Oregon and Arizona. We mentioned Ben Roberts. I'm trying to think, is there anyone else that is like has a date or any time commitment in place that is on Oregon's radar? I don't think so. I think basically the rest of the guys that are still committed but haven't signed have indicated they'll wait till till spring. And that's exactly like what Matt was saying, what you want and what you needed here because – the worst case is a guy signs before Oregon really can make its complete pitch. Yeah. And Oregon can't go out there and say, this is what we're going to look like because they haven't finalized so many of the staffing decisions. So um, they're getting kind of almost an incomplete. And again, that's difficult as a recruit to sign on the dotted line and say, I'm, if you're putting a lot of trust into Dan Lanning, somebody who shoots or Mel's told me, and I assume the other recruits probably have similar histories. He didn't know who Dan Lanning was before he had, was hired by Oregon. I mean, it's not like Dan Lanning had previous relationships with a lot of these guys coming into this. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know specifically with Devin Jackson or with uh, Harrison Taggart, a couple of linebackers that are more of a position group Dan recruited, if he had any contact with them. I mean, Jackson being from Nebraska, that's closer to, to Athens, Georgia, at least. But I mean, I, these guys are basically, the fact that they are committing, it speaks pretty high volume. So um, this is a class that will be figured out in February. I will also note, I wouldn't be surprised if Oregon's act more active than, than normal in the transfer portal. Yes. Um, I think that's a thing we'll, yeah. we're going to have to talk about and we'll have to have some names because, you know, there's more people in the portal than ever before. Those are players that can jump in and play immediately. And if you're Dan mm -hmm. Lanning, are there guys at Georgia or other stops that you recruited prior? Maybe some guys who you recruited at Memphis four years ago that are still looking around. I mean, there's all sorts of po possibility and opportunity for him to find guys through that mechanism too and and also oregon we've talked about this always going to be a smaller class you know i mean that they the covid year you know kind of messed with the numbers guys stayed around an extra year that kind of right you know, the players, players didn't use years because of that i mean eligibility windows got all sorts of it's all wonky right now so it's i don't i'm not trying to minimize the impact of not maybe signing top recruits the thing that kelvin banks go to texas cameron williams go to texas uh Lennon Hullaby go to Texas Tech. These are just guys off the top of my head that I know signed at other schools that were once committed with Oregon. I'm not trying to minimize that. That stinks. Banks would have come in and possibly played right away or at least competed to. But also not in, in, in a situation where I think Oregon is completely screwed because they lost out on six or seven of these guys. There's opportunity to make up for it in the portal. And again, there's opportunity to circle back around with a lot of the guys who aren't signing this week and, and hopefully – get them back up here for a visit, get them an in-home visit in the spring, get, get some communication with a staff once you know what that looks like. So a lot, a lot of steps to be made here and to be taken. And the fact that you have four in place to me is, I know Oregon fans would love it to be 10 or 12, but I think that in and of itself is, is kind of a, vic a victory for today. Yeah, I mean, I would expect Oregon to hit the portal really hard. And depending on who the talent that it is that you bring in, you know, that could you know be, be better than a recruit because uh, you have – like Eric, like you said, there's more players than ever in the portal right now, and there's a lot of talent in the portal as well. Um, we just saw yesterday Spencer Rattler and uh, I can't remember the other name, but a, a former Oklahoma tight end both transferred to South Carolina. Like those are immediate impact guys, and there's a lot of those players in the portal right now. And for Oregon, it's like it's going to be a smaller class um, just because of, like Eric, like you said, all the 
the COVID extra years and uh, how big Oregon classes have been in the past. Um, this is just going to be a different year overall. Uh, I feel like that it's the wet, that way for a lot of teams, a lot of blue blood teams too. Um, you know, with LSU and Oklahoma and Notre Dame, like these classes are all going to be a little wonky. And uh, a lot of players, this is what I was trying to say earlier before our friend Bill joined for just a brief second, is you have all of these big schools um, not knowing exactly who their head coach is going to be or um, their head coaches just get into the program with such little time to go and actually recruit for their own school. And you know, the players are smart in this instance to not sign immediately on early signing day, because unless their heart is really set on one specific school or not, you know, they'll have time now to get acclimated with the new coaching staff to get acclimated with their new position coach. Um, we've heard a lot from Oregon decommits or Oregon co current commits who just aren't signing on early signing day that they want to know who their position coaches are. And uh, that's a hugely important thing because while having a head coach is vital for your program and just the stability and the overall uh, like culture that they provide a uh, position coach is who you're going to be spending the most time with on the team. And if you can build a good relationship with that position coach, then it's going to be more important to you to commit to that school rather than whoever the head coach is. Obviously, that goes into um, a decision, a commitment, of course, but a position coach is arguably more important for a lot of players. And Oregon still has to fill out. I, I, I don't even know what percent because we still don't know who's going to be here on Oregon staff, who's going to be retained. Um, it could be nobody. It could be everybody. We'll, we'll find out probably in the next week or so, or in, uh, definitely in the next couple of weeks as Lanning uh, finishes his journey at Georgia as they're going to the college football playoffs. Um, but for Oregon, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty lame signing day, but I, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing as we've been describing. Um, February is going to be a huge one. And because of the limbo, there's going to be a lot of good players who aren't, signing with their teams immediately today or Thursday or Friday. Um, I mean, you have the, the gold standards of Alabama or people like that, where you know who their head coach is going to be. And even if their defensive or offensive coordinators leave, it's, it's whatever, you know, that whoever they're going to hire next is going to be okay because you have that uh, head coach. But for a lot of kids, for a lot of schools, um, there's a bit of uncertainty going around. And I think that plays well for Oregon once they can get a full coaching staff in there and you know, show that this is how it's going to be for the next couple of years. So come, come, come to Eugene, come join this staff because here's where we're going to be going forward. We're waiting on uh, not only Ben Roberts' decision this week, but also that of receiver uh, – Tatario McMillan, I probably butchered his first name. I've still not been able to, to pronounce it correctly. Tedaroa. Tedaroa, that's correct. Um, McMillan, four-star, top 50 guy, almost five-star guy. Um, Greg Biggins of 24-7 Sports reported that um, he was leaning maybe a little bit to flipping to Arizona leading up to Wednesday. Now things are maybe going back in Oregon's favor and – he may end up signing ultimately with Arizona. Um, that's who it came down to before when he before he committed to Oregon. He's very close to committing to the Wildcats. But the fact that he is 
he was leaning on going Arizona and then decided to hold off making his announcement and then making it later this week. I think bodes well for Oregon. Um, Dan Lanning is going to be speaking with him later on this week. And I imagine probably what happens with receiver coach and current interim head coach, Brendan McClendon, will help dictate what happens with McMillan's commitment to Oregon or if he flips to Arizona. And we should know Arizona has a couple of his teammates currently committed. So it's not like uh, he's all of a sudden just going to go to you know a team where he could just instantly see the field right away, because which he would. I think he would at both schools. But mm-hmm. the debate is, does he play with the team that's, you know, been the, kind of the perennial power in the conference last three or four seasons? Or does he go to a team that's in a rebuild and try and elevate a program with two very close friends? It'd be interesting, you know, and, and a lot of that will come down to hires. Um, yeah. I think it's notable uh, that Kenny Gillingham from Florida State was reportedly – Kind of that was finalized on the morning of signing day before a lot of the kids signed. They wanted to get, I think, that name out there so that Tedaroa can at least go, this is who you're going to be working with as the offensive coordinator. Wouldn't be a position coach. He's worked with quarterbacks before. I assume it'll probably be a similar role with mm-hmm. Oregon. Um, but I thought it was notable that came out. I think that was probably intentional. That was probably also intentional that shortly after that, Pete Thamel um, of Yahoo Sports reported that uh, Matt, and I'm, I'm not even sure, Powledge? Powledge. I, I think, I think it. it looks like it would be how you pronounce it. I, I actually realized I hadn't said it out loud until now. I've, I've written it a couple of times and texted it a couple of <laughs> times, but I hadn't said it. Um, but that he was also in line to be a co-defensive coordinator. I think these these hires, both, by the way, under 35, both young coaches like Dan Lanning, coaches he worked with in the past. Um, I thought it was notable that that information came out early signing day, right, before kids were finalizing decisions to say, hey, Here's kind of where things are going. At least here's an idea of where things are going. Hey, Ben Roberts, this is a guy who will be involved in your recruitment. Hey, right. Ted Arola McMillan, here's a guy who would be involved in your recruitment. Um, you know, we don't know when those contracts get finalized, but with some of the stuff being in limbo, it makes sense to have some of these hires come out. Matt also reported on Tuesday morning, I think, Don Johnson, the director of player personnel at Oregon, would be retained. Um, that's a guy who's been integral in some of the recruiting a lot of the recruiting at Oregon, tight relationships with the in-state guys, having been a former head coach up, up at Jefferson and coached at a couple other schools before that. Um, thought that was notable that they're at least trying to build some staff here to get a couple of things in place. So there is more stability. So it doesn't all have to come down to Dan Lanning to make all of this recruiting contact. And so that some of these guys who are uncommitted and on the fence about what they want to do, at least have some sort of a picture, some sort of a concept of what they're going to be walking into if they do sign. So I thought that was notable. Um, just a, a thought that came in my head I wanted to share as well is that uh, Sir Mel said he will be enrolling in March in time for spring football. So that'll be another thing to track here is how many of these guys are, are not only committing and signing, but that are, are planning on enrolling early for, for spring. We should – I think this is a good transition point to some coaching news like you just brought up. Kenny Dillingham from Florida State, offensive coordinator. Um, he's 31 years old. Previous stops um, include Auburn in 2019, three years at Memphis from 2016 to 2018, and he spent two years um, at Arizona State as an offensive assistant, um, 14 and 15, and then he got his start coaching high school football in the Phoenix, Arizona from 2007 to 2012 and then 2013. 
Um, and the other one, like Eric said, is uh, Matthew Powledge. Um, this is another young coach. He recently made the AFCA uh, 30, 35 for under 35 list. It's a list that's put out by the peers of all the coaches um, in college athletics for college football. Um, 35 basically rising stars that are under the age of 35. He made that list um, for 2021. He comes from Baylor. Um, he's currently the their safeties coach and also a special teams coach. Um, he coached with Dan Lanning um, at Sam Houston State, um, and he also had some time at University of Louisiana Monroe, and, and as well as um, some time spent coaching at Kentucky in southeastern Louisiana um, as a graduate assistant. So I, I think two young coaches, and like Eric mentioned, I should also say Don Johnson. Um, he's he's back for Oregon, huge recruiting get for for Dan Lanning. But I think three young coaches are for on-field coaching positions right now. Lanning is 35. Um, the other two we know for sure are under 35. And I kind of dig it. It's it's a, a, a move away from the standard operation. We typically think of coaches that are in their 40s, 50s, and sometimes even 60s. And um, these are three young guys that you know, recruiting is a you know college football is a, is a is a grind, and a big part of that is the recruiting effort. And it's it's a young man's sport, I think, um, at at that area of the game. And they got three young guys who are all hungry to, to be involved in that process. Yeah, I want to note with Dillingham just some of the reading I had done this morning, and and I'll, we'll try to confirm some of this with him when we get to speak with him for the first time. I would assume that would be this week, maybe next week. They'll have offensive court. They'll probably have some of these hires you know available to us to interview. But one of the things that stood out is similar to Dan Lanning, right? I think the story of Dan Lanning driving 13 hours from, from Kansas to Pittsburgh to try to get that graduate assistant job about a decade ago is Dillingham had kind of a similar thing. I mean, he tore his ACL as a senior in high school and then became a JV coach while he was a senior in high school at his at the same school and, and ended up coaching there for seven years and doing some other reading and watching some videos, listening to podcasts. It sounds like he got his start at Arizona State where he was in school because he was just still coaching in high school, but with, when he wasn't coaching at that high school and he wasn't in class, he was making it over to Arizona State and taking part in meetings and helping him with summer camps and spring camps. This is a guy who just kind of grinded his way into a position. Um, and when he was in that position, you know, and while he was doing that, that was when Dan Landing was also on staff as a recruiting coordinator at Arizona State. So you kind of see how this is coming together. Same thing with college. I mentioned earlier, Landing spent one year at Sam Houston State, happened to be a year where uh, that was, I believe, one of Palage's first years at Houston State, which is, which, by the way, is, is Palage's alma mater, alma mater. So, you know, I think you see, you know, one of the things that stood out from from Dan's press conference on Monday was, to me at least, there's a lot of things, but from how he's going to build this staff is he said he had had, you know, notes app with a bunch of names that stood out to him over the years. And you kind of see maybe some of the trends here of, guys who are like-minded, who really, really want to make this work, want to grind. Like, again, that Dillingham story just – it seems like they're, they're two people who are kind of like-minded, that they understand they had to do whatever it took to get their, their kind of their foot in the door. And now that they're in the door, they're going to work as hard as possible to move up. And, again, similar to Lanning, think about Dillingham at 28 years old as a coordinator at, at a school like Auburn. That doesn't happen to people who aren't extraordinary to then become the same position or take on the same position at Florida State. These are huge positions. And now to come to a school like Oregon where he'll have full play calling duties for the first time in his career, 
I just you, you, I point to these things. I think this is this. These are guys that aren't afterthoughts. These are guys who are at the forefront of the profession that are very well respected. You go and kind of listen to some analysis of Dillingham, and it's like this guy's going to be a head coach soon. People are saying this guy's going to be a star in the profession. I want to say with Pallage, some of the research I did, um, Oregon fans are very frustrated with special teams play. And I'm understandably so. There were some real mistakes made the last couple of weeks under Mario Cristobal in his era. Pallage is known to be one of the premier special teams coaches. He, for eight mm-hmm. years, special teams coordinator. He's juggled that with a variety of position coaches, by the way. We're talking about being a co-defensive coordinator. This is a guy who's coached tight ends. He's coached running backs, coached linebackers. He's coached defensive backs most recently. Um, huge variety of, of, of coaching skills. But as a special teams coordinator, I think you at least know going in, assuming he's going to you know, kind of carry that same duty, you look at his, his units and they've been top in the conference or top in the country in returns and punt, and punt coverage and all sorts of things. Like he has been someone who's been very successful in that avenue too. So I think that's another thing with him in particular to kind of look out for. Um, it's not just as a position coach or a potential co-defensive coordinator, but also um, in, in how he coaches special teams. I'm very down with the youth movement that is seemingly coming to Eugene. Um, all of these coaches are 35 and under. Uh, Dillingham is the youngest at 31, like we mentioned. Um, it kind of plays into how the NFL has been hiring their coaches recently with the Sean McVays and Kyle Shanahan's of the world where they're just younger guys who have gone through the system, who have you know, become uh, coordinators at a very young age in that uh, late 20s, early 30s, and then have been given the keys to a car basically to see, well, can they drive it? What's going on here? And some of them can and some of them can't. But uh, I think it's uh, it's got to be worth the risk because these guys have, Eric, like you said, have an, like, an undeniable drive in how they try to coach football. And the stories of driving 13 hours to basically plead for a grad assistant job, um, Dillingham, or that was Lanning's story, Dillingham at Arizona State, who would just stay every day with all the GAs, even though he wasn't hired by the team. And, you know, those are really obviously they're great stories to the start of somebody's career, but that also is the type of personality that these guys are. These are the type of humans that they are. Um, they're hard workers. They're go-getters. They are, uh, in, in landing speech, he said something like um, the fact that it was just somewhat of an opportunity was more than enough for me to like go and drive 13 hours because there is a chance. It's not that there's no chance. It's that there is a chance. And he was willing to go take that motive. Um, and I think it's just going to help like how Matt kind of opened this is how it's going to help in recruiting. Um, it's a young, it's not that it's a younger man's game in terms of recruiting because Saban and, and Jimbo Fisher and all those guys are still so good at it, but, uh, to, to start fresh to and Oregon is not a blue blood program. So it's not like they just are going to go and get anybody they say, Hey, to like Georgia or Bama or some, some college like that would, um, they are going to have to rework it all. They're going to have to put in their own personalities in the system, their own uh, cultures and all of that. And for them to do that, it helps to be young. Um, I don't expect the entire staff to be young. No. Um, there's obviously going to be some some coach that is has that 10 to 15 years of experience in, at the college level. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if a majority of the coaching staff is under 40 it just kind of makes sense. And Lanning's notes app, he said, is awfully full. And there's a bunch of people that he would like to hire to Oregon. And he mentioned that there's, you know, there's 
no way that he could hire everybody that he wants at Oregon. And I think he's now, the fact that he's now in control, he's the CEO basically of the University of Oregon football team. Um, I think he's going to have fun with it. Clearly his, his personnel connections are going a long way because he's worked with both Dillingham and uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Pallage. Pallage. Um, they, they both have worked together, um, not for many years, but clearly during those few years that they worked together, they made an impression on him to be like probably one of his first calls after getting the Oregon offer. Um, and I, I'm excited to watch both of them work. Uh, I'm really excited to watch Dillingham work. This will be like a, a lot of people have issues with the fact that this is his first play calling uh, experience. And while, yes, it's true. I also, you know, he's been an offensive coordinator for Auburn and Florida State. And a lot of people have posted the numbers of Florida State's offense. And you got to remember what they're dealing with. That Florida State team, despite how Florida State usually has talent, didn't have talent. Um, they haven't had an offensive line in years. Um, they haven't had a really good quarterback. I think during Willie Tagatera, he never recruited a quarterback to, to Florida State. And that hurts. So, and he's able to put up decent numbers in the ACC um, with a Florida State offense that's really, really kind of depleted. Um, so, like, I would look back to how he operated at Memphis in his final year in 2018 and then Auburn in 2019. Um, those were good offenses. Um, that was Bo Nix's best season as a quarterback was 2019, the same year that they beat Oregon and, and Dallas and um, to open the season. But and, and frankly, like to do that with Bo Nix is impressive. <laughs> I'm not a big Bo Nix supporter. I don't I don't think he's I don't think he's that good, but I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of rumors about him coming to Oregon because Dillingham is now here. Um, so my, I might have to eat crow at the end of the day, but I still think he's an impressive mind. And again, to get to this level of coordinator duties at under the age of 30 really, really should speak volumes to whoever's listening about how, how good this guy's mind is. And when it comes to football, because you don't get there just from, just from being a human or having a last name, because he, he doesn't have a last name that everybody remembers. Um, it's going to be somebody who has to work their way up like he's done. And he's shown that. And I think that's a really important trait to have when it comes to uh, starting fresh on the other, other side of the country, really, for him. Um, so I'm excited to watch both those guys. And I think they're going to be good hires going down the line. We should note, um, Oregon just hired the man that calls the defense for Georgia to be their head coach. And they have the best defense in the country for scoring at nine and a half points per game. And then they have also hired um, a coach from the Baylor defense who Baylor is 14th in the country this season in points allowed. And you're going to be blending some of the tendencies and the philosophies of Georgia. And you're going to be blending some of the defensive philosophies of Dave Aranda who has had very good defenses across the country, across the league, or across different leagues um, for a long time together. And I think that right there is very interesting um, and exciting to see what Oregon's defense will look at, will look like um, here when they get kind of situated and, and kind of get their guys into what they want, because those are two really good defenses. And, 
if you can tap into those and bring the strengths of them and blend them together, it could be pretty interesting. And we should also note that um, Powledge is reportedly being a co-DC, which would suggest there's going to be another hire out there that would be the primary defensive coordinator as well. Yeah, well, just on the Powledge thing, um, and then we can maybe talk co-DC a little bit, but just how many people were like, let's get Dave Aranda to be the head coach because of yeah. the defense. I'm not saying you're bringing Dave Aranda here, but you're bringing somebody who's been attached with him who at least understands some of the mechanisms and concepts that work so well there. Um, right. So that's another reason to be excited by this is if you were a big Dave Aranda, let's get him as the head coach. You're at least, as was Jared, Me. Me. I'm speaking directly to you now, Jared. Um, you're, getting you. somebody, you're getting somebody who at least <laughs> carries some of that with him from Waco to Eugene, I'm not saying you're getting Dave Aranda because you're not, but you're bringing in somebody who's been associated with him, who at least understands what's made that defense tick so well. And again, I think from everything I've read, also somebody who's a great special teams coordinator. I think you're kind of getting the best of both worlds. Um, a name that was attached by 24-7 sports, Brandon Marcello to Oregon, I don't think with the, in specifics of what capacity, was Tosh Lapoy, um, who Oregon fans, all the Oregon fans in particular will know, as Xbox Tosh from his time at Cal in Washington, where he beat Oregon head to head for a couple of five stars. Um, and because supposedly because he was playing Xbox with them, which was skirting NCAA rules and whatnot. Um, but that's a name that that has who has really elevated himself from the depths of Oregon fans' perspective to now he was at Alabama. He got he got Sabanized. I saw that used. I don't know if that's a term that's frequent, but I liked it. He was been Sabanized. Oh, like yeah. Spent a couple of years there, um, and now is with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So that's like another name that's at least been floated publicly um, that we've seen. And Matt's done a great job um, on 247 Sports on, on Duck Territory of, of kind of keeping a list, a running list of some coaches to know about. There are more names than that, but I don't want to I don't want to share names that are quote-unquote VIP on this podcast because I want you to subscribe and, and come and join our community there. Um, but I just – Tosh's name has been out publicly, so I thought I'd, I'd bring that up. And it maybe would make sense – I don't think Tosh has either been a defensive coordinator um, at the college level. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but as a co-DC, maybe that's a, a way to get him from the NFL, set him up here. He can work side-by-side with with Pallet, who, again, also hasn't been a coordinator. Um, so you have two young and experienced guys from a coordinating perspective, but working together. Tosh, known as an ace recruiter, also under 40. I think he's 38. He would be a tremendous hire, honestly, because he's he's a recruiter. He's one of one of the better ones. He's been saving eyes, like you've said. And he's also spent the last four years in the NFL, which is just adding to what he knows and, and adding to his uh, defensive philosophies that he's learned through the last couple of years there. Um, yeah, a Cody C role with him would be great. Uh, defensive line coach would be great. Joe Salavea is still with the team. Uh, again, we are unsure of who's leaving and who's staying. So, um, there could be an opening at defensive line and Cody C that could be a double title to get him to come back to college that, you know, a little more incentives um, will come with having two titles. But um, I think for Oregon, this is a name that they've heard in the past in terms of um, both Willie Taggart and Mario Cristobal trying to reach out to him and get him hired. Um, and I think there's a reason for that. And I, I, that would be a, a huge factor in, Oregon's recruiting going forward. He's been able to land some really good dudes on the West Coast at Cal and Washington and at you know at Bama. He really helped out there too. So that's definitely a, a public name to to look after. Um, I'd expect a lot of these hires to come within the next two weeks, um, two, three weeks really. 
So that'll be a hot board. That'll be um, something that'll pop up, I'm sure, is like going down the list of A, who's staying and who's leaving, and B, who Lanning has in his eyes going forward. Yeah, that's going to be where we where we end this is now we wait. We see what players will sign with Oregon in the next couple of days. Um, will Oregon be able to keep some of its decommitments from staying elsewhere to give Lanning the opportunity to meet these guys in January? And then how does the rest of the staff shake out and how will that impact signing day in February? Um, we'll have a lot more coverage of uh, signing day on duckterritory.com throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the next month and a half or so. Um, we'll also have coverage of, of Lanning filling out his coaching staff, plus that bowl game. That bowl game is still yeah. out there. Still coming. <laughs> they have to play Oklahoma uh, in about 14 days. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out as well. So uh, plenty of discussion going on at DuckTerritory.com. Go ahead check that out. And until the next episode, you've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 